Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're talking all about sexual health and Chinese medicine and specific foods to help with libido, vaginal dryness, all of those things. And my guest is Christine Delosio. So for those who don't know Christine, she is an acupuncturist and herbalist in private practice. She specializes in sexual health, treating all orientations and identities. Acupuncture is great for sexual function, but to address the underlying mechanics of consistently great sex, the key is diet. For this reason, she works with patients to develop dietary habits that support their sexual goals. Christine holds a master's degree in acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine and counseling. During her education, she studied Chinese dietary therapy and earned a certification as a holistic nutritional counselor. Early in her practice, she treated numerous men with erectile issues with acupuncture who ended up having significant improvements with sexual satisfaction. After seeing how meaningful this improvement was to their lives, she specialized in sexual health, expanding her practice to all who seek it out. She wanted to do more to help them connect with their partners and bring joy to their relationships. So Christine, welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy to be chatting with you today because as I just mentioned to you, we have yet to cover sexual health in detail on the podcast. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to have on. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. And you, in your bio, described how you um, got into more of the sexual health side of things through your acupuncture, but what made you get into holistic health in the first place? So um, I've always been rather obsessed with a natural approach to health. You know, I've always kind of intuitively felt that, um, you know, staying close to mother nature and how, you know, the biological design of, of the human body was the best way to promote health. So in doing so that, that means, you know, the foods that we do, that we eat, the lifestyles that, you know, the behaviors that we engage in, in our lifestyles. And, um, so that's kind of what drove me into that, into that end. And I was pretty amazed with how much, uh, Chinese medicine was able to accomplish without the use of pharmaceuticals, you know, and pharmaceuticals have their place for sure. But, um, you know, Chinese medicine is able to do so much without any invasive procedures and, and without any any drugs. So I was so just fascinated by it. I wanted to, to learn more about it. And that's what got me there. But I've always been really super passionate about um, food, you know, whether it's, I mean, in my personal life, I love cooking. I love, you know, the aesthetics of food. And also professionally, just I, I feel like our diet is, is one of the roots and, you know, the foundations of good health. So, yeah, just working with my clients in practice, there's a lot. I don't specialize in sexual health by any means, but just the nature of the clients that I'm working with and the hormone imbalances and things, it's kind of a that comes alongside of it. So low libido, those types of things. But um, 
that we're going to be talking about how to improve those, but what are some of the common issues that people might not even think are issues? So they might be common, but they're definitely not normal. What are we talking about? So you mentioned erectile dysfunction for men. So what about you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, erectile dysfunction and other degree, lesser degrees of that, like, you know, just wanting stronger erections, you know, um, there are people who, who can have sex just fine, but their erections aren't as strong as they would like them. It's not like how it used to be maybe, you know, five or 10 years prior. Um, premature ejaculation is another one. And for our, my female patients, Vaginal dryness, um, but the most the most common sexual complaint among my female clients is low libido and difficulty achieving orgasm. And so that's a really tricky one. That's that was something that's really hard to address. And, and I really dove into that in the book because I thought it was really important. And we can we can definitely talk about that. And what would be the conventional treatments for some of these things? Because I've never had to seek it out for myself, but um, what are some of the therapies on offer if there was usually to the usually the therapies focus on the psychological aspect of health, like things like communicating with your partner, um, teaching your partner the proper techniques, um, that sort of thing. My book focused a lot more. I mean, there's that too. I was a counselor for ten years, so I definitely you know focused on that aspect as well. But it's more you know how to strengthen your nerve conduction so that it's easier for you to have an orgasm. You know, this is not this is kind of setting aside any um, of the psychological and emotional and relationship reasons why it might be difficult to achieve orgasm and just simply promoting all of those, those areas in the body that can help us have a better, more pleasurable sexual experience and easier, fuller orgasms. So that means, you know, nerve conduction, it means um, blood flow and it means uh, balance of sex hormones. I'm glad that you mentioned that because if someone listens to this episode and gives it a period of time to l- let the new dietary changes be implemented and they're still struggling, it could be something psychological. It could be that the relationship with a partner is just not a good match. So um, yeah, just wanted to make that point as well. It's so important. And again, just with the work that I do and the, po- the podcast, um, I talk about all the time how men and women are physiologically quite different in terms of the women's cycle being more of like a 28 day monthly cycle men tend to be on a 24 hour circadian rhythm so we differ in that aspect but what about sexually what is there to know well you know the uh, males operate in a higher level of testosterone where females operate in a lower level of testosterone um however both of those are you know estrogen and testosterone are important to male and female sexual function for sure it's just that males tend to operate you know have better sexual function with higher testosterone levels and lower estrogen levels but they do have an enzyme that converts um, estrogen or excuse me testosterone to estrogen in the body and they have better sexual function when their estrogen is is um, optimal as well it's just those ratios are opposite typically, but that accounts for, you know, some of the differences in things like libido and that sort of thing. And what about with um, female health, with some of the issues and imbalances that you mentioned, low libido, vaginal dryness, which are the hormones that tend to be out of whack? Is it that we have low levels of Usually, estrogen? Honestly, uh, when one hormone is out of whack, we, we rarely see one hormone out of whack in isolation. It's usually a whole cascade of hormones. So for example, when I have a pe- patient who has um, type two diabetes, you know, there we we're dealing with insulin resistance. We're dealing with leptin resistance, which is the hormone that tells your body, um, 
you know, when you're full, for example, and that then in turn affects sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen. We know that, you know, females need testosterone for a good sex drive, you know, for, for all of those other aspects of, of sexual function. But most of the time it's, again, it's, it's the whole symphony that's, that's out of whack. And it usually isn't the, the sex hormones, the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone that go out of whack first. Um, it's the other things like the cortisol, the insulin, um, that throw the others out of whack. Yeah, we operate, especially, you know, women, we operate on a very high level of stress in our daily lives. You know, we take care of kids, we work, we, um, you know, manage all sorts of tasks simultaneously. And when cortisol, which is that stress hormone, when, when cortisol is high, that throws testosterone out of whack. And so, uh, you know, that, that, but our diet actually can address that even our cortisol levels, you know, we think of stress as just something that happens to us, but it's also something that happens within our bodies. It's how our bodies deal with stress. Some people produce more cortisol, some people produce less cortisol and your diet can affect um, your particular response to stress chemically. Yeah, but if I'm gonna talk about all of the like superfoods that are gonna be useful, things to increase, things to decrease. Um, but I wanna talk about kind of what's happening with our neurotransmitters as well during the arousal stage and during sex itself, like what should be happening and what could go wrong? Sure. So, you know, what we expect to happen is we, whether it's visual stimulation or whether it's physical touch, our, our nerves are delivering signals of pleasure, of arousal, of, you know, sexuality to our brains and our brains are responding in turn. Uh, it's not just our brains, of course, it's some of these signals just go to the spinal cord and then have a reflexive action. So some of the, some aspects of arousal um, and lubrication, they just go to the spinal cord, the spinal cord triggers a response and then um, lubrication is initiated. Um, other ones go to the brain to be processed. And so in this whole in this whole sequence for example i mean there's a lot of there are a lot of chemicals and neurotransmitters in play but one neurohormone is dopamine and that's a big one because you know our orgasm and pleasure is dopamine you know it's it, that's that's what it is and when we um when we're not for example um giving our brain the basic building blocks of this dopamine pathway, we see things get out of whack. So one of those things, for example, is like omega-3 fatty acids. Our brain is um, has a lot of that and we can't produce it. We have to take it in from our diets and that's a critical um, component to the, the dopamine pathway. So, you know, just something simple like that, getting that can actually help normalize those dopamine pathways. And another thing that can improve dopamine is being in the sun. So just another reason over the summer to get safe sun exposure. Um, super yeah. Awesome. And even something as simple as vitamin C. We know um, I don't, the studies that I read on vitamin C showed that very rapidly they improve mood. They didn't show chemically what is actually happening, but I would suspect that that has something to do with the dopamine pathway. And in your book as well, you talk about how um, things like optimal estrogen levels and progesterone levels and testosterone are beneficial. But what's the difference between our own natural production and the synthetic versions, for example, from hormonal birth control? Because people start the pill because they want a free sex life um, without any concerns about falling pregnant, but then they develop vaginal dryness or the libido's kind of rock bottom. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that can cause some, some disruption for sure. And, you know, it's not without consequence, you know, our access to, you know, reproductive, um, you know, control over reproduction definitely has, has an effect on the body. And I do see a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant after years of being on, you know, hormonal birth control. Um, it definitely affects it. It, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to look at specific studies on, you know, what's happening chemically in the body, but in, you know, in terms of traditional Chinese medicine, um, there's a, there's a cycle of yin and yang that happens throughout the month. You know, we build up, um, we build up the yin and it transforms into yang. And, you know, we have the release of an egg we have, and then we have the, you know, the completion, which is, you know, getting rid of this menstrual blood and, and this heat. And when we completely stop that, there's, um, you know, it, it does disrupt the, the yin and yang in the body and, and just, um, it's like a chi blockage. So it interferes with the normal flow of chi you know, the, the release and the down, the down bearing of that chi and the release of blood. If that, that's, I know that's might not be a concept that's readily kind of tangible for everybody, but that's kind of how Chinese medicine sees it. We've had a few episodes on Chinese medicine. So I recommend I will link them in the show notes for anyone who's interested, but you mentioned just a few terms there. So I want to get your kind of, um, your definitions of them. So the the qi or the keys, I know some people call it, the yin and the yang, what do you mean by those things? So the yin is um, bodily substance. You know, it's the blood, it's the fluids, um, it's the menses, it's the semen, you know, in, in many ways, although those are the essence as well, we'll talk about those. Um, the qi is the, um, you know, the chi the and the yang are more the function of the body. The chi is the vital life, core, life force that flows through our body. So our lung chi allows us to take air into our lungs. Our heart chi allows our heart to contract. You know, the digestive chi allows food to go from the mouth through to the other end, you know, by this comp complex coordinated series of muscle contractions that propels the food along the way. And we can see chi you know, literally see chi in a nerve impulse, you know, every time a nerve fires, that is the movement of chi. It's the depolarization of a nerve cell. It's the movement of electrons. Um, it's an, it's an electrical impulse and it's, you know, the movement of substances like potassium, calcium, um, you know, magnesium and sodium, um, in order to propel, um, that, that, that signal, if that makes sense. Um, so, and then the yang of course is the more, it's the more hot, uh, you know, function aspect. The yin is the cool substance aspect of, of our, you know, health. Could they be linked to the hormones of the menstrual cycle? So would you say yin is more um, estrogen or estrogen? Yang is more testosterone, progesterone? Oh, you know, that's, that, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be, it, it could be um, analogous to that, for sure. Um, it's maybe, you know, it is kind of, more complex, but yeah, certainly the testosterone is more of the young, you know, the young substance. And just as an overview, um, in TCM Chinese medicine, they believe that things like low libido um, can come from a stagnation in our chi. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And some cultures um, and some like, from what I know, traditional Chinese medicine, like in the history, they've believed that you should limit sex um, and orgasm and things like that for good health. Um, why is that? Is that still the case? 
So it is predominantly, um, that's the widely held belief among uh, practitioners of traditional Chinese medicine is that we lose essence, but particularly males. So the embodiment of our essence, you know, the essence is the, the most um, basic, uh, you know, the essence of life and it's embodied in sperm and in menses. We lose the menses every month um, in our natural cycle, but for males, um, it's considered that, you know, ejaculation is losing your actually your life essence. Okay. So if you do it too much, you, you kind of tax the essence and, um, you know, most practitioners will stand by that. But what I, what I did find in my investigation for the book and my research is that that wasn't always the standard belief in Chinese medicine. It wasn't until Confucianism came along that that became the predominant belief. Before that, it was considered that um, males should have as much sex as they can, that it nourishes their essence. And so that the vaginal um, secretions actually contain vital life essence that feeds his essence. And so, for example, um, this wasn't just a belief. This was an institutionalized practice. So emperors would have you know, 81 concubines, they would have, you know, second wives, they would have the queen, and they would copulate with the, the concubines as much as possible to build up their essence be, from what they got from the sexual encounter. And so that on the full moon, when they had relations with the queen, that their sperm would be the strongest to create the strongest, smartest air possible. So once Confucianism came along, though, there was this struggle, um, you know, with the overthrowing of dynasties, there was this struggle to maintain control. And they it, Confucianism was used as a, a, a tool of control in of the citizens, even in their private lives. And that was a tenant of um, that philosophy that came with it. So again, uh, there, there's definitely some political influence in that belief. So interesting. And do they also think the opposite? So when you're saying kind of women's secretions will benefit men, is that the same with women and kind of sperm? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, so it was an exchange of yin and yang. Um, you know, yin cannot exist without yang and vice versa. And yin is the more feminine energy while yang is the more masculine energy. But of course, they're infinitely divisible. So we all have yin and yang in our, in our bodies, whether we're male or female. But yeah, it was considered only to nourish. Even now, currently, um, you know, it's more considered to nourish the, the, the female essence rather than deplete it. And in your book, you talk a lot about um, kidney health. And I've, we said this in different podcast episodes on Chinese medicine, it doesn't literally mean the kids in kind of like a scientific Western term. So what, why is the focus on balancing the kidney yin and yang? And what do you mean just as a recap when you talk about kidney health? Sure. So the kidneys are considered the root of the essence, you know, the, the root of, um, of this vital, uh, you know, the substance of life. And so, you know, we do see a relationship there. It's not, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship like we think, uh, like some, like you might think, but it is there. So, you know, sexual dysfunction is definitely a side effect of, of kidney malfunction, you know, for sure. Um, and fertility and, and all those things that come with it. So there is a relationship there, a very, you know, a real relationship. However, there's, um, it is, it's different than this, you know, concrete, you know, like, 
oh, you have liver cheese stagnation. Well, you're, there's something wrong with your liver. You better go get it checked out by your doctor. It's not, it's, yeah, it's not like that. But um, the kidneys, um, so when we think about reproductive health, we always think about um, nourishing the kidneys. So um, that's whether we're thinking about Chinese herbal medicine or whether we're talking about um, acupuncture, you know, we always want to, want to do that. You know, now one thing is, for example, we have the adrenals that sit right on top of the kidneys and the adrenals are one of the producers of testosterone in the body. Um, so there's one kind of more biological example of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And you're obviously a trained acupuncturist. Do you feel like people can get good results just from doing the dietary stuff? Or is it the acupuncture is highly recommended to get like resolution of some of these issues? Uh, I would say, you know, everybody's different, you know, it depends on what the, sometimes it depends on what the origins of, of the, the issues are. Sometimes it depends on, you know, is this a new issue? Is this something that's longstanding? Um, you know, if diet is the cause, is diet the cause or is it, you know, cheese stagnation due to stress, you know, is it, you know, so in that case, acupuncture might be the thing that's more recommended. When I treat, for example, um, sexual health, a lot of times I use a point that's in the perineum. So um, let me just preface that by saying that acupuncture is based in the nervous system, you know, so we, we move chi along the meridians of the body to promote health, but that those meridians, those channels correspond with the nervous system and the vascular system. What we're doing in essence is stimulating nerve pathways. And that in turn um, affects the body chemistry because every substance produced by the body, every neurotransmitter, every hormone is ultimately regulated by the nervous system. So um, sometimes I use a point on the perineum uh, that, that point is in between the vagina and the anus or the testicles and the anus is a major crossing point of nerves associated with sexual function. And so in doing so, um, it, it directs the body's attention there, but it does help address, um, address sexuality in, um, it increases blood flow. It, um, stimulates those nerve pathways and directs the body's attention there. So, we see increased blood flow, we see um, increased lubrication, we see improved erectile strength and overall um, even improved um, orgasm and ejaculation, so. And I mean, acupuncture is really never gonna do any harm. So if someone has the the budget and they have a practitioner nearby, it's just gonna elevate the um, results potentially, but it doesn't mean that you have to do the acupuncture in order to get any symptom improvement, like the dietary stuff alone could be enough. Um, and you were kind enough to send me a copy of your book, uh, Diet for Great Sex. I felt it was amazing, like totally covers everything that I love as well in terms of Chinese medicine, energetics, specific superfoods to increase hormones. You covered it all. So I um, highly recommend everyone goes and grabs a copy. But in the book, you talk about the trifecta of great sex. You touched on a few of these. So the nerves, the vascular function. Um, and also the hormone side of things is important. So could you talk about why these three combined are really essential? Sure. So when we think about great sex, you know, we usually think about a psychological phenomenon, something that's happening, you know, with the right partner in the right situation, the right mood, that sort of thing. But great sex is when our nerves are firing strong, rapid impulses to and from the genitals, because that just simply means more pleasure. That pleasure signal is stronger. And so that means our experience of pleasure is better. Our arousal response is better. 
Um, blood flow for obvious reasons, you know, males, males need blood flow, but female sexual health relies on blood flow as well. And lubrication is a byproduct of blood flow. We can't have lubrication without blood flow first. And even though, you know, it's more obvious that when a, a penis engorges with blood, the clitoris also engorges with blood and it directly affects um, orgasm and um, arousal and pleasure. So when we have proper engorgement, we have more pleasure and higher sexual function. So we want blood flow. And, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the arteries leading to the penis and to the clitoris and vagina are among the smallest in the body. And so when we have plaque accumulation, which happens very early in life, I mean, they, they know that we're starting to build plaque up, you know, even, in high school, there's visible plaque accumulation in most of our arteries. So um, those are the first ones to show signs of that plaque accumulation because they're among the smallest in the body. So before we see any kind of heart disease signs, any kind of chest pre uh, pressure, angina, um, any of those other signs of heart disease, we'll see a decline in, in pleasure and sexual function. Uh, and then thirdly, of course, we all know sex hormones. When our testosterone and our estrogen, among many, many other hormones are in balance, we'll have optimal libido and, you know, libido, arousal, pleasure, all of those things are, are easier. Do you love coffee, but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mold-free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores? Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess but King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of reishi mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the ratio can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. 
I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. And the dietary side of things, you um, recommend eating a lower fat and salt and kind of uh, refined sugar diet. Um, obviously with the whole junk food and processed food, those types of things we want to be avoiding. I think everyone knows that. But my question is, what about the high quality um, fats like grass-fed butter, beef, avocados and natural salts like Celtic sea salt? Are they just as bad? Well, uh, consider this. Okay, so no, they're not just as bad. I think they're, they're a lot better. They're definitely a better option and there's a place for them in our diets. Um, but we definitely favor this, you know, kind of salty and sweet side of things. You know, in Chinese medicine, the optimal health is achieved when we balance the five flavors, you know, so we include bitter, we include sour, uh, we include sweet, salty, um, we, we don't favor just certain ones. And in our modern diets of processed foods, we favor salty, we favor sweet because it tastes good. And so this kind of throws things out of balance. What are underrepresented are the sour flavor, which comes from fruits and bitter flavor, which comes from leafy greens. So, um, so no, not all fat, fats are not all equal for sure. Avocados have unique poofas and, you know, they have um, other things to bring to the table that do help actually balance sex hormones, for example. And there was, there are a lot of studies, for example, showing that a high fat meal, even one high fat meal will measurably stiffen arteries after eating it. And, you know, they do actually measure the arterial function. However, a high omega-3 fatty meal actually had the opposite effect. So that actually made blood vessels measurably more elastic with it within even two hours after eating it. So that single meal had that, had that measurable effect on, on blood flow. So no, they're not, they're definitely not all created equal. You know, something like Celtic sea salt is going to have minerals to go with it. So it's bringing something to the table and those minerals, um, we don't typically get enough of them in our diet. So for example, um, human beings used to take in about 10 times as much potassium in our diets as sodium. Now it's just the opposite. We take in about 10 times as much sodium as potassium. And what this does is it wreaks havoc on our blood vessels. It makes them stiffer. It, it encourages the formation of these, um, accumulations on blood vessels, whereas potassium actually softens the, um, the delicate inner lining of blood vessels and it removes those accumulations. So it's something that we want to really, really pay attention to. Not only that, but potassium can offset the damaging effects of salt on our blood vessels. That's been shown in research, but it's not, if you don't make a conscious effort to get enough potassium, most of us don't. I think I read one, there were two studies showing well over 90% of people do not get enough potassium in their diets. So you have to eat, there's only like f six or seven foods that are commonly eaten that actually have more than 20% of your daily potassium per serving. They're leafy greens, yams with the skins, baked potato with the skins, squash, oranges, bananas, um, avocados. Um, they're, they're, I'm sure there's a few others on there, but you really have to make a conscious effort to get that into your diet every day. And I do mineral testing with every client through her tissue mineral analysis and literally everyone is deficient in potassium. So that makes total sense to me. I'm interested with the sour and bitter foods. Um, you said that we're lacking in them. Maybe that's playing into our love for dark, like chocolate and coffee. And they're saying that that's one of the only like bitter foods that Americans or just Western 
um, people eat these days. But what is it that those foods do for us? Or is it just that the balance between all flavors just improves our health? Well, um, you know, uh, chocolate, interestingly, chocolate is very high in magnesium. So I sometimes think uh, that's one of the reasons why we crave it so much. But the bitter foods do a lot, you know, bitter leafy greens are something that we all should be incorporating more of. And if we look at other primates, you know, we as human beings, we've kind of lost our way as far as nutrition, our instincts are shot. You know, we don't know what's healthy anymore. We, we have all these paradigms of, of eating and they are contradictory to one another. We don't really have a definitive answer on, you know, what's good to eat. Whereas animals, you know, they know which plants to eat. They know which animals to eat. They know, um, you know, they know where to get their nutrition and what foods most benefit their bodies. We kind of don't, you know, we've, we're, we're too intelligent, if you will. And um, so we rely on our logic to, to inform us. Um, if you look at other primates, though, we see them eating tons and tons of leaves. You know, they eat lots of leaves all day long and they eat lots of fruit. And is, as such, they get many times the amount of things like magnesium, potassium, and other minerals in their diet, along with a lot more fiber, which also helps regulate hormones. You know, that that takes out, uh, you know, increased fiber helps normalize estrogen, for example. So, um, so in Chinese medicine terms, what leaves bring to the table with that bitter flavor is they clear heat, um, they, they drain damp and, you know, damp, uh, we can see damp in um, things like, you know, sinus issues and cough, things like that. But damp is also in, you know, our body weight and, um, and other things. And that bitter flavor helps normalize fluids in the body like candida overgrowth is another one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of different, they have so many different phytonutrients that help restore balance, you know, and yes, feed good bacteria in the body. And so they help offset any kind of microbial imbalances. And I know that Chinese medicine isn't, doesn't really promote a completely plant-based or vegan diet um, because you can run into like blood deficiencies. And um, so especially for women, the importance of um, moderate amounts or small amounts of animal protein, especially red meat for kind of nourishing our blood. And if we're having menstrual cycles is important. So am I right that your recommendations and just Chinese medicine as an overview is very plant heavy, um, lower fats, more of these kind of anti-inflammatory omega-3s, nuts and seeds, um, less of the bad quality fats, processed foods, those types of things. Um, is that like a good overview? Are there any like specific foods or nutrients that someone could increase for optimal sexual health? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. You know, so in, you know, in Chinese medicine, we don't advocate abstaining from meat because like you said, it can lead to a blood deficiency. It's a blood tonic, um, but they wouldn't have eaten the huge quantities of meat that we eat in our diets today. Um, they, they would have, it would have been more of like a flavoring agent. So you would have your vegetables, you would have your rice, for example, and you would have um, a small amount of meat in there to, to flavor. Meat does bring something to the table though. I mean, meat has one of the best um, bioavailable sources of zinc, for example, fish, you know, fish is, is a good source of zinc too. But um, if you, when you eat grains and legumes, if you're not soaking or sprouting them, the zinc is completely unavailable to you because it's bound to what's called phytates. So, and most of us don't do that, you know, um, we, we don't soak or sprout them to get rid of these phytates and allow the zinc to be bioavailable. 
So, you know, and, and of course the B12 and everything, meat definitely brings something to the table. When we see patients with, you know, blood deficiency, it's often, you know, chemically, it looks like anemia or B12 deficiency. And also in your book, you talk about mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, and how they provide things like antioxidants, um, and they help kind of with adrenal health because they're adaptogenic. Could you talk about some of your favorite mushrooms and a bit more about yes. why you love them? Yeah, so we have the medicinal mushrooms, which I sometimes use with my patients like cordyceps, uh, for example, and that's used in Chinese medicine, as well as you can get it in supplement form, uh, too. But I love culinary mushrooms, and you can use a lot of mushrooms, both medicinally and culinarily. So for example, one of the best nerve um, mushrooms is lion's mane, and that has a ton of research to support it. But mushrooms, see, mushrooms are so beautiful. There's an entire chapter on mushrooms in the book because they bring so much to, to the table. They nourish that entire trifecta of great sex. They promote cardiovascular health. They strengthen nerve conduction and speed and things like lion's mane in particular can even help repair nerve damage and even help regrow nerves which grow very slowly and they help balance sex hormones. So it's all around something great to include in our diets. But the most fascinating thing about mushrooms is how they operate. There were numerous studies showing that they affect our microbiome or they affect this delicate balance of microbes in our digestive tract, digestive tract. And we know that this is extremely important to human health. Every aspect of health, including things like our risk of cardiovascular disease is influenced by these microbes. So for example, they, they did these one, this one study where they had two sets of, you know, mice and one of them was high, high risk for cardiovascular disease. One was normal risk. They transferred the feces from the high risk cardiovascular into the normal um, digestive tracts. So they gave them these fecal transplants and they too developed a high risk of cardiovascular disease just because their, their digestive tract now had different microbes in them. Mm -hmm. So it's important for any, everything and mushrooms actually affect this microbiome, which is huge. Um, they found that different species do different things to this balance. Um, they focus on different or they operate on different, you know, specific species, um, and strains, but um, all mushrooms have this effect. Even simple white button mushrooms improved the biodiversity of our, our microbiome, which means better health, you know, overall. I love hearing that because one of my favorite products um, is, it's called Organo King Coffee. So it's organic, mold-free, pesticide-free coffee with reishi mushroom spores in there. So I absolutely love it. But this leads me on to my question on caffeine. I have read it depends on the quality of the caffeine as well. So if you're going to drink it, try and get the good stuff. But am I right that caffeine is beneficial for kind of sex drive, libido, blood flow, those things, because it's effect on nitric oxide? Or is there the potential issue with um, cortisol and adrenal health? Or is it completely individual? Uh, you know, there's a lot of drawbacks to coffee. That's the problem is that you... Th there may be some of those benefits with the nitric oxide, but then you, you have... Um, you know, when it, when you weigh the pros and the cons, you're left with it not being something that you would want to be taking a lot of just because of the cons, um, those effects on, on health. But, you know, what I actually have a favorite coffee alternative and that's chaga mushrooms. Um, I don't, have you ever tried chaga mushrooms? 
I've tried the Four Sigmatic brand. I think they do. Oh, okay. No, you've got to try, if you really want to get the full experience, you got to get some chaga chunks and you can get those on either Etsy or even Amazon has little bags of them. I like getting them on Etsy because they're, they're wild foraged, but you're, where are you in the UK? Uh, near Manchester. Near Manchester. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can get the Siberian, um, the Siberian chaga um, there, and that's going to be really great chaga. And you just boil the chunks. What it is, is it's this fungus that grows um, in uh, like in the woody, uh, barky parts of birch trees. And when you boil it, it resembles coffee. It has the dark caramel color of coffee and it has a vanilla aroma. And it was used in World War II as a coffee substitute because it has such a nice, pleasant flavor and it has this appearance of coffee. I have a recipe in my book for a um, chaga chai latte. And what I do is I boil up those chaga chunks and I make it really, really strong. And I put in some um, fennel and nutmeg and cloves and cinnamon and pour some almond milk on it and honey and have a nice chaga and you're getting a ton of antioxidants. It's very anti-inflammatory and it has, it brings a a lot nutritionally and just for, for health to the table. And that's a good way to get your mushrooms, especially for somebody who's not into mushrooms. That sounds delicious. I'm sure everyone's like, (laughs) most of water room right now. I can't wait to try that. (laughs) That will be my next step after we finish this recording. (laughs) Go on Etsy and order chaga. Um, what about alcohol, cigarettes, recreational drugs? What do we need to know? So cigarettes are definitely, uh, they bring so many negative, you know, so much to bad sex. You know, they've got loads of cadmium in them, which we know disrupts sex hormones and um, damages nerves and all sorts of things. And as well as all of the effects on cardiovascular health. So cigarettes are definitely not for great sex. Um, and I do have a lot, I do have patients who smoked for many years and are experiencing the sexual side effects of, of that. Um, alcohol, you know, alcohol can get you in the mood. It can enhance sex, you know, in the short term. I mean, it's in the long run, if you're, you know, drinking heavily, it's definitely going to not work with you. It's not, it's going to work against you. What I did recently was I had these, um, I had some, vodka and some tequila and what i did is i infused them with these herbs you know some some aphrodisiac herbs just to play around with them and and make some cocktails one of them was dill is an aphrodisiac herb it has some some a little bit of research to support its efficacy and made something like that i made this one oh and fresh thyme i made a fresh thyme uh blackberry margarita, which was really good. So you brought all those polyphenols, which we know in actually in the short term benefit your blood vessels and, and in the long run and put those all together. So you can have fun with it. If you're going to take alcohol, I'm not saying that alcohol is healthy or anything like that, but if you're going to, you can throw in like those, that a lot of vitamin C, which again is going to boost your mood um, very quickly. And some other like sex healthy things you can throw in there to make it fun and, and, and boost the health benefits. Yeah, it's like the perfect balance. You, you can have your drink, but have your antioxidants and polyphenols alongside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what about other lifestyle things? Anything else you want to mention um, in terms of like sleep, exercise, other environmental toxins? What about all of these like plastics and um, parabens in the skincare products, cleaning products, etc.? Yeah, so we are actually exposed to way more toxins than ever before in human history because it's in our air, it's in our soil, it's in the food we eat. We get... Uh, 
good deal of cadmium from the food that we eat. And unfortunately, the research that's out there shows that it's, it is enough to be affecting our hormones. It's not, um, you don't need to have been exposed to some, you know, nuclear explosion to be getting exposure to harmful toxins that are going to affect your hormones. We're having it in our daily lives. So one of the things that you can do to offset that exposure, because primarily this, the damage is hormonally and it's neurologically. So it damages our nerves and it damages our hormones, but, um, antioxidants were actually found to be very protective as were things like, um, if you, for example, have higher magnesium and calcium from your diet. So if you're getting an overall healthier diet, that's more rich in these minerals, your body will absorb less of these toxins when you're exposed to them. Yes. Cause when you're again, with the mineral testing that I do, it's the people who have mineral deficiencies, their body will absorb or accumulate more of the metals to, cause they look kind of similar to the body. So if you then restore the actual mineral problem that will stop you absorbing or it's less harmful and it might help you detox the, the metal that's in the place. So, yeah. And also um, I wanted to ask on tips for those um, who are with partners who might be resistant to some of these recommendations. Um, so let's say that the person listening, I'm guessing they're already eating a good diet, um, living a healthy lifestyle, but the partner is the one that's struggling with some of these concerns. How do you kind of have them implement some of these things or give them some tips without sounding like a teacher or their mother? Yeah, well, I would say eating should be fun anyways. You know, we, those of us who are really focused on our health and focused on what we eat and we pay a lot of attention to it, sometimes we can kind of go overboard to the point that we, you know, no longer have enjoyment in food because we're so, you know, strict with ourselves. But you know, when we eat, our bodies produce dopamine and they're supposed to, that's, you know, eating is meant to be pleasurable. And so whatever plan we have, it should allow for that. You know, it should allow for us to socialize and to be with friends and family and have parties and things like that. So, you know, if, if you're eating something that's, um, you know, really fatty, for example, and heavy and has all these, you know, these negative aspects, you know, have a nice salad with it. Or, or just maybe focus on something small, you know, sometimes our partners might feel overwhelmed by the idea of changing their lifestyles, especially if they have a lot on their plate. So something like just saying, okay, maybe we can just change our lunch, you know, how about every day for lunch, we have a nice big leafy green salad, we can make it up on Sundays and pack it in in our lunch have, you know, a Pyrex dish, you know, glass Pyrex dish that we bring to work with us every day or we make up five of these lunches and then have it with something like a big potato or a big yam and you get a nice filling meal and you also get uh you're going into a huge portion of your daily potassium a lot of other minerals you're getting your leafy greens in there and you're going to get a huge benefit to your sex life in that one meal so maybe yeah. it's a little bit more palatable if it's if it's just something small. Mm -hmm. And you also being the example, I say this with any other, not necessarily like sexual um, issues, but some, say someone's just dealing with low energy or a bit of depression, when you are that model, that role model and that example, and you say how good you're feeling or how much better you're sleeping, how clearer your skin has been, the person will then start to like ask a little bit more what they could be doing. But if you try to force it down their throat, then they're often turned off and very resistant to change. 
Yeah, it is. It is hard. I mean, one thing, the other thing that I do with my patients is, you know, sometimes I suggest something that they're, you know, they're not happy with because it, it is going to be a big change for them, you know? So, uh, so for example, when I see patients who have arthritis in their hands, I always recommend maybe trying to stay away from dairy for a couple of weeks and see if their, their hand pain improves because for some people, um, that's inflammatory for them. So, uh, and I don't know what it is about the hands, but for some reason, when I see hand pain, that's the first thing I think of. And I've had a lot of patients who respond quite well to that, but they not, might not be happy. So I say, you know what, why don't you try it for two weeks? And if you're still having the same level of hand pain, you know, go back to eating dairy, but see if it works. If you're having less hand pain, you're going to, they're going to be naturally motivated to make some changes. And so our partners are the same, you know, especially if they're not having a real healthy diet you know, they might likely be also experiencing fatigue and experiencing the side effects of that diet. So if you say, Hey, can we try to have, um, change our lunch every day for two weeks and see how you feel, see if you're feeling better. I like that recommendation, especially for men, not to stereotype, but if you put it as like a challenge or a little kind of trial run, um, just to see how things go for two weeks, they're much more likely to do it than if you say like, we're going to change everything forever. Um, and they right. get no say in it. They like a lot. Yeah, of let's open up these but, cupboards and take out all your favorite foods and throw them in the garbage. <laughs> it doesn't sound like fun even. <laughs> and I have a lot of people asking um, client-wise about mismatched libidos as well, how to deal with that. So either the, the female, I'm talking like heterosexual relationship, the female has, that's kind of the, the one that's most spoken about, but it can be the other way around as well. Like, do you have any tips on how to navigate that? Yeah, I mean, you, every sexual issue or relationship issue um, is first should be best, you know, should be first and best addressed um, with kindness as the foundation. So if two people can communicate in a kind way, then you have the platform to, you know, navigate that because one person ends up feeling like their needs aren't met and they, they're feeling like they're you know, intimacy, emotional and bonding needs are met. And the other person feels like they're disappointing their partner, like they're inadequate or like they're pressured to do something that they don't want to do. And so, you know, out of obligation, but if they can actually come to the table and communicate about that, that works best. Having said that, a lot of times dietary changes can improve libido and, you know, not everybody would argue that they want to have higher libido. Some people are perfectly fine having a low libido. And that's okay if that works for you. But if, if the complaint is, you know what, I would like to have sex more, but I'm really tired of coming home from work. I, you know, maybe they are dealing with a chronic health issue. Um, you know, maybe there are a lot of other things on the table. Then we can start with, you know, things like diet because it, it really does improve libido if, you know, if that's what you're looking for. Um, so there are ways to kind of meet halfway, but people's ideas of what is a lot of sex is widely variable. You know, I have patients, I hear all about people's libidos in my practice. You know, I hear, (laughs) I hear about interpersonal, you know, issues and especially libido. And I have patients who come in and say, well, my, you know, my partner only does it with me once a week and they're not happy about that. I have other, another patient who says, you know, we haven't had sex in two months. I would be happy if we did it every couple weeks. Um, I have other patients, another patient whose husband left her um, and he wanted to have sex every single day. And so she 
sure libido wasn't there, but she tried to please him. She would have sex with him five times a week out of obligation. And then he ended up leaving her anyways, you know, for this younger woman. And so the thing about it is if two partners are kind and really want to meet their other partner's needs and really want to work with them, it's something that can, you know, it can be worked out if there's some common ground. I mean, I think the biggest challenge is going to be when you have a partner who never wants to have sex and a partner who always wants to have sex, you know, that's, that's going to be a little bit more challenging. And what about if someone's listening and they're not really dealing with any obvious problems, like they're happy with their sex life, can this stuff that you're talking about still help? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, who doesn't want better nerve conduction, you know, who doesn't want better blood flow and, you know, something like your arteries, we all know that we're slowly getting more and more plaque in our blood vessels as we age and, you know, as we abuse our bodies and our lifestyles are, are the food we eat, that sort of thing. But that was long thought to be chronic and irreversible, but they're finding more now. That's actually not entirely true. One of the big things is leafy greens, um, spinach. There, there are doctors, for example, near me at uh, the University of Rochester, who are treating patients who have cardiovascular disease and who have type 2 diabetes um, using a very low-fat diet. But in order to get rid of that plaque accumulation, they are being advised to eat kind of handfuls of spinach every single day because that actually did show in research the ability to to a modest degree, actually reduce plaque levels. Um, but even though it's, oh, it only reduces it a little bit, that's better than it progressing, you know, which which is, you know, the opposite direction. And I mean, all of this stuff is just for general health anyway. Um, so when our bodies are healthy, our hormones are healthy, our blood flow, our nerve conduction is all healthy. So even if you're not struggling now, this will affect your health and disease risk like 20, 30 years down the line but how long can we expect these changes to take because with my clients and kind of restoring nutrient deficiencies and affecting their menstrual cycle it can often take around three months is that kind of average or can you see improvements a little bit quicker so yeah you can definitely after three months you're going to see much more dramatic results than something like two weeks but we even have the in the book i have this date night sex menu and these are all foods that were shown in research to have an immediate effect on um on either blood flow or hormones for example so we know for example that if you eat a high fat meal it's going to tank your testosterone a little bit if you eat a high sugar meal it's going to do the same to testosterone um, if you eat a high salt meal, for example, it's going to measurably stiffen blood vessels. Same with, you know, fat and, and some other things. Um, if you eat a high potassium meal, it'll measurably make blood vessels more elastic in the short term within the two hour window. So there's stuff that you can do in one meal. It's not obviously going to be as dramatic as, you know, having a lifestyle change. But um, I've seen patients who report better sex within a couple weeks, you know, for sure. Um, obviously, you know, long term lifestyle is a better strategy for the long run yeah and speaking of some of those meal examples with my final few questions now i always ask my guest a few things so the first one would be either what's your go-to breakfast or what is an example breakfast for healthy hormones and optimal sexual function well i enjoy eating a smoothie, you know with so i getting some of those leafy greens in in a kind of easy way so i sometimes 
put like a bunch of um, wild blueberries and some spinach and maybe I might throw in some um, spirulina and, and barley grass juice powder and some cilantro and um, because there's a lot that that brings to the table. You know, remember all those toxic heavy metals that we talked about? Well, um, cilantro, for example, was found to be more effective at binding to those and delivering them out of the body than even the pharmaceutical chelators, for example. And that's in research, that's in mainstream research. And the spinach, of course, we know, we've talked about how much that brings to the table. So yeah, that, that nice smoothie is a good one. Or if you're in a hurry, I just um, grab a handful of berries and then maybe I'll have a handful of nuts or something as a snack, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, what's, second question is, what's one product that you couldn't live without? So again, for healthy hormones, sexual function, it could be a supplement, a food, a gadget. Uh, for me, I recommend zinc to my patients more often probably than any other supplement. And that's because um, there's, there's several reasons. One, like we talked about about the heavy metals, um, there's a way that our bodies deal with um, these environmental toxins. And it's called, um, it produces this protein called metallothionine, which binds to these heavy metals and helps your body deliver them from the body. Zinc induces the production of metallothionines, but also it's critical for sexual health, for fertility, um, for so many different things, and most of us don't get enough of it. So it's, you know, it helps, it boosts the immune system. It's useful, you know, if we're getting sick or something like that. Um, so it has so many different uses uh, that, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. Similar to magnesium, they do hundreds of different things and most people are deficient because the food quality, the soil quality is very, um, very poor. Um, and last question, Christine, is where can people find more from you online? Um, if they're local to you, like where is your practice and where can they grab a copy of your book? Because I'm sure that they're going to want to have to listen to this. My book is on Amazon. It's called Diet for Great Sex. My website is dietforgreatsex.com. My social media is Diet for Great Sex. And um, I'm in Rochester, New York. So and my practice is needle and herb acupuncture. Amazing. Well, this has been fascinating. Again, First time we've spoken about this in detail. Um, I'm sure there's plenty more to cover. So I would love to have you on potentially for a part two, um, maybe ask, answering some listener questions. Um, and I'm sure this is gonna help lots of people because I know that when some of these issues pop up, they don't want to kind of go to the doctor. They're a little bit embarrassed. It's still unfortunately a taboo subject. Um, especially for women. So I'm very happy that you're doing this work, spreading the word and helping so many people like that. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my Hormone Friendly Recipes Guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain, and refined sugar-free recipes, and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health, as I share a ton of free content every day, and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides, which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss, or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. 
We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.